0: Many of you know that I do a lot of driving. I'm on the road actually quite a bit. Four or five days a week because of some stuff with my son and his soccer team, I'm on the road to Orange County back and forth. It's about an hour to an hour and a half on the way there, an hour to an hour and a half back. I also spend a lot of time in my car right now, especially heading to hospitals in different parts of the Inland Empire. Regularly, I'm out in Ukaipa, Arrowhead Regional, over in Fontana at Kaiser, Redlands community here locally, as well as, of course, Oma over at Loma Linda. In spending a lot of time in the car, even like our family, Kristen and I, and our family has, we're a road trip family. We love being in the car together. One of the things that I've noticed is that um, while I love driving, it can be a little dangerous, Because my brain goes somewhere else. I'm in the car so much. And especially when I go over to Orange County. I've traveled that road so many times. Do you have it with certain roads that you feel like you could drive them in your sleep? I don't even notice when we're past something. Like we're in Chino Hills and then all of a sudden I'm on the 215-10 interchange. And I'm like, where did that go? I'm distracted. And one of the things that distracts me is conversation. Now, I'm in the car alone. It's striking that conversation often distracts me because I talk to myself and God and some of you people who I'm especially arguing with and I just want you to know I always win the argument. But in those conversations that I have with God or that I have with myself or that I have with some of you, it distracts me. And so the time just passes so quickly that I don't notice often what's going on around me. God be praised and your prayers have protected me thus far in my driving. Keep praying. I still have a lot of driving ahead. In our story this morning, we have two distracted drivers. Well, they're not distracted drivers. They're distracted walkers. Two men who are disciples of Jesus Christ who have borne witness to the last days of his life as they knew it, have borne witness to his imprisonment, his torture, his crucifixion, and ultimately his death, are on the road to Emmaus. It's not a far walk, maybe seven, eight miles. It's several hours worth of walking. But as they're walking, they're distracted. And because they're distracted, they don't notice what's going on around them. What we're going to study this morning is how God shows up in their distraction and does a beautiful thing in teaching them the truth about a new reality that they could not have possibly imagined. And as we dig into God's word this morning together, let's pray for God's presence and blessing on our time. Father, meet us here in this story of power, the power of life over death. The power of hope over disappointment. The power of joy over mourning. The power in this story, Lord, is one of a future instead of an end. And we pray as we learn this morning that you meet us wherever we come. There are people here in this place who don't even want to be here. And I pray, Father, that you invade their unwanted presence with your love and your grace in a powerful way that they might know that they've met you here. There are people who come here in great joy. Father, meet them in that joy and magnify it even more that they can give praise to you. There are people who come here with pain and with loss in their lives. They're mourning. They're hurting. And Father, through this story May you meet them in a way that you show them your love and your grace that moves beyond that pain, that loss, that mourning, that suffering. And that, Lord, they know even in that they're not alone. That you are with them. That you'll never leave them nor forsake them. That you'll never let them go. Father, this is work that you and you alone can do. We ask you to do it this morning. In Christ we pray. Amen. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Luke's going to be about one quarter of the way from the end of your Bible, from the back. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is the order of the Gospels. So if you're looking to try to connect, it's Luke chapter 24. And we're going to begin at verse 13 this this morning. Now that same day... So, these two people who are on the road to Emmaus, again, about seven, eight miles to where they had to go, depending on what your walking pace is, that's anywhere from maybe two and a half to four hours of time that they're on the road walking. Um, They're talking about what they had seen, not only what they had seen, but what they had heard even that morning from the women. And when we sort of think about people like Peter and John, the two disciples who went to the tomb that um, were in the previous text, Peter's there, but in another text, another gospel, John is there as well. And we think about the, the, the women and their experience of telling the stories to this, these disciples. Um, it just seems to us like, seriously, guys, and it's always the guys. The women get it, the guys don't. Why don't you understand? Like these guys are wondering what in the world's going on. The women had come back to the disciples and said, hey, the tomb is empty. And they're like, whatever. What is that supposed to mean now? How are we supposed to think about what's going on with my voice? <clears throat> can I get some water? If uh, someone can grab a water bottle for me, that'd be great. Um, these guys, why don't they get it? Why don't they understand? What but it makes sense. Because only in the history of all things had been, there been like a couple non-deaths life after death, right? We know of, we know of uh, some in the, the Old Testament. We know Elijah, right? Elijah didn't die, didn't die, but, you know, that was sort of supernatural. God took him up in a chariot. Um, we know that, um, you know... The, there's, there's not many stories about death being overcome at all in the Old Testament. And those are incredibly exceptional. And in this story here in the New Testament, not only was it uh, you know, unexpected that Jesus would have life over death, but they'd actually seen him dead. They'd watched him on the cross do this— Except he didn't breathe again. And some people came. Joseph of Arimathea came and got him off the cross and put him in a tomb. And it was over. So it's no wonder that they don't understand what's going on. Now we know the next part of the story. But they didn't. They had no idea that there was going to be this appearance of Jesus. In fact, they didn't know that it was going to happen, I don't know, right now. Jesus begins to speak with them, verse 17. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But he had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Jesus. Now these men say a couple words here that are interesting. First of all, they called Jesus a prophet. Now Jesus himself had made it clear to them who he was. He was the Son of Man or the Messiah. But they were still figuring it out. They hadn't got it nor understood it yet. So he instead they put him on the same level as people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Elijah and Elisha. Like, You know, Jesus might have been like them, and like them, he died. So these are people who are being confronted with truth that they're not quite understanding. And I want to encourage all of us to really pay attention to their response, because I think we are much more like the two men on the road to Emmaus than we want to think. That we don't quite understand what's going on here. These are men who had heard Christ speak. In fact, they were men who had... They weren't part of the 12. They weren't part of the disciple group. But they were part of the others who had gathered around and been followers. Just people who's like latched on. Went where Jesus went. Listened when he spoke. Went to the synagogues or wherever it is that he taught. And they sat there and they soaked in everything. But obviously... It hadn't clicked. They hadn't understood. And in their words to Jesus, it's clear that their expectations of Jesus were so far short of what Jesus was willing to offer them that they missed it. What they wanted was this. They wanted Jesus to show up and return Israel to its power. Where were Israel's glory days? Back, think of like the Old Testament where some of you know the Old Testament. Think of these kings like David and Solomon. When Solomon was king, Israel was in its glory. It was powerful. People came to Israel and Solomon for advice because he was so wise. He had so much money that everything around him was gold. His house was bigger than the temple, and the temple itself was this huge thing. And these people, these two men on the road to Emmaus, are thinking, Jesus is going to return this to us. We're going to get that back. We're going to get the kingdom of Israel being what it is that we want it to be. I'm going to say this. They wanted a dollar, but Jesus was giving them the opportunity to become billionaires. They wanted something that was finite and earthly. Something that only had a very small space and place in all history. Who is the oldest person in the room? Ted, how old are you? 91 years old. There might be, is there anyone older than 91? Oh, I'm sorry, Claire, how old are you? 91, but you're older than Ted. You keep... I'm not kidding you. There are people in here who know exactly where they are on the hierarchy of the church community. 91. That's our standard here in this room. How old is um, Redlands? Anyone want to guess? We'll call it about 100 and what? 170, 180 years old? Not quite. Thank you, Miriam, resident historian. Is... That number, 170, larger than 91. Yes. How old is this country? 250 plus. How old has it been since this country was settled? 1492. It's over 500 years ago. How old do we go back when we start to think about history? If you go to Israel, you go back about 6,000 years. If you go to China, you can do archaeological digs that go back about seven or 8,000 years. Are seven or 8,000 bigger than 91? Of course. And if we are looking for this 91 being the exceptional and don't think about the bigger picture of what God is offering us, we are taking a dollar when God is offering us to be billionaires. That's why we don't get Easter. We don't get it. And here's why. Who here has died and come back to life? Not a one of you. That surprises me. Of course it doesn't. Every single person in this room will be dead in a hundred years. That's your hope for this morning. (laughs) Every single one of us will be dead in body. But what Easter says to us is, "Uh uh-uh. There's not just a future. A future might be something that we think about 10 years, 20 years, 25 years from now. A future in Jesus is an eternity, which is also something we don't get. An eternity, not only an eternity, but how many of you are sick of being sore when you wake up in the morning? How many of you are sick of every February and March getting allergies? How many of you are sick that he doesn't get it no matter how many times I've told him? (laughs) I love seeing, like, the little nudge. The eternity offered is without all those things. Without any of the pain. Without any of the suffering. And friends, all we know is life with sickness, soreness, allergies, pain, suffering. And of course, when we start to look at the world, we talk about Sri Lanka. And the pain of this violence and death. We think about the separation that we know from our brothers and sisters because of our race, because of our belief, because of our socioeconomic status. All of this strife and pain and this suffering. And Jesus in Easter is offering us redemption from all of that. That's why we don't get Easter. We can say he is risen, that's good. Please do. Say it loud and proud. But understand this. All of the stuff that we are giving God praise for this morning, we understand only a percentage of a glimpse of a slice of a little bit of it. Because in breaking open the door of a tomb, God gives us everything. That's why you're here. And give God praise for it, even though you don't yet fully understand it. Verse 25 says this. He said to them, how foolish you are. how slow to believe that all, all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. Now, these texts or this, these words had to sting Cleopas and the other disciples. I mean, these are people who probably think they're a little bit of the elite. They're people who had been with Jesus, people who had heard his teachings. But, see, the thing is, and this is important for us to think about, even though they had heard tons of truth over the last three years of Christ's ministry, they weren't ready for it yet. They weren't ready for it. They had known the truth, but the truth had not, because of circumstances, been allowed to sink into their hearts because their circumstances didn't need that truth yet. You understand what I'm saying? They weren't ready to hear the truth because they didn't need the truth yet. Now that Jesus had died, everything that he had said about himself, fulfilling the prophecies, being the Son of Man, being the one who came to redeem Israel, suddenly began to make sense because now they needed that truth. Jesus was no longer with them, so they thought. Now they needed that truth and to understand it more deeply. And Christ is patient. And he gives them a course review. Again, Emmaus, seven miles. Anywhere between two and a half and three hours. And these guys become like I do on the road while I'm driving and listening or or having a conversation or doing whatever it is that I'm doing. They get so distracted that the time passes like this. Jesus is giving them the most incredible course review about who he is. Does anybody else wish that they could have just walked along beside? Like seriously, I would have loved that. Like class is in Jesus, bring it on. Let me get my notes. I'll put some, I'll bring out my phone, turn it to recorder mode and just listen to all this beautiful stuff that you're teaching us. And these men finally begin to understand because... They're ready. And friends, understand this. We're like that too. It's striking to me. Here's something that's sort of funny to me, actually. Um, I will uh, be taught, I mean, obviously, I preach many, many Sundays, you hear some of the things that I say. It's striking to me that there are people who come to me at times and say, hey, I was listening to this pastor online, or I went to this conference and heard this thing, or I was talking to this one person and they said this, and they'll tell me what it is that they've said. And they're like, that just struck me so powerfully. And I'm like, oh, God be praised. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I've told you that 500 times. Why in the world couldn't you understand it from me? (laughs) Because they weren't ready. Because they weren't in the place that they needed to hear the truth. They weren't in that place when their hearts were opened to receive what Christ was giving to them through my voice. Instead, God made a way through another who spoke it perhaps with a little bit of a different Lilt or illustration, and it broke through. We're in that place, friends. There are things that you and I long to know about life, following Jesus, about truth, about those things that we wish were a part of our walk with Jesus. And we've tried or we've listened or we've tried to learn And it just doesn't seem to catch. And I'm telling you, friends, that there may come a time, and it may be very soon, when some of those truths sink deeply in a way which you've never experienced it. And you know where it often happens? It often happens at some sort of bottom. There are sometimes, as a pastor, that I pray in the lives of people that I know and love in our community that I pray somehow they might get to the bottom. That life might become so hard and so broken and so rife with pain that they have no other place to go but up. And here's why I pray that prayer because that is often the place where a heart is open to the truths of Jesus Christ. And I long that for myself. I don't want to hit bottom. I don't want to have that sort of pain. But I do know that when I do, and when I am in that place of abject poverty of spirit, and pain, and loss, and suffering, that God can meet me. It's one of the reasons why sometimes people will talk about the blessing of cancer, the blessing of death in their life, the blessing of pain, even the blessing of addiction and those sorts of things. Because in all of those really, really hard things, God shows up and the truth sinks in. These disciples were weeping the loss of their rabbi. They were broken. And Jesus' words on that road could sink in in a way which they could never before. The passage continues 28 through 35. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if He were going further, but they urged Him strongly, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So He went in to stay with them. When He was at the table with them, He took bread, gave thanks, broke it. Began to give it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other. Were not our hearts burning within us? While he talked with us on the road. And opened the scriptures to us. They got up. Returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven. And those with them assembled together. And saying, it is true. The Lord has risen. He has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bed. Bread, you notice right away there's a shift. Before that, Christ is referred to as what? A prophet. And now here in this section, he is referred to as the Lord. Already there is this acknowledgement in this place of brokenness, in this place of pain. The truth is sinking in in a way which it had never done before. And they could now hear the truths of Christ in a life transforming way. And they were eager for more. That's why they came together with the other disciples. It was like this shared truth that when they learned it, when they understood it, when it captured their hearts and their souls, there was nothing that they could do except tell another person about what they had seen and what they experienced. Now, I want to just imagine with you, like that moment, and I don't know really how to capture it except say this. I want you to put in your mind someone that you love dearly who has died. Put in your mind that person. And I want you to imagine that you go to a restaurant. We'll just say Panera down the street. You're going to go to Panera and you're sitting there. You're sitting there with another person. You're having your coffee and your overcooked panini with sort of rubbery chicken. And you're, you're doing your thing there. And you get the baguette because the baguette's way better than the fresh fruit. And you're doing your Panera thing. And you're talking. And you, there's a person behind the person that you're talking with uh, two tables away. And you're talking about whatever life, kids, work, school. Maybe you're studying something. Maybe you're just having a conversation. All of a sudden you see that person that you know who has died. tables over. What would that moment be like? We can't capture it really, can we? I mean, we can't even imagine that. For me, honestly, it would be my grandpa. Still miss my grandpa. If I could see grandpa at that table and hear him laugh, he had an augustment laugh, wide open mouth, he had the ugliest tongue I'd ever seen in my life. Ah if I could see that that moment would be unbelievable. And here in this moment, these two men are not waiting, looking at someone at the next table. They're looking at someone across the table from them and he breaks the bread. Now, because they were not part of the twelve, we don't know that they were at the table during the Last Supper. And so when he broke it and gave thanks, they probably didn't hear the same echoes. But they might have heard the story from the other disciples of what Jesus did at the Last Passover, the Last Supper. And maybe in that moment, all of a sudden, the light goes on. Maybe you've seen some of those kids coming or or soldiers coming home and then surprising people in their family when all of a sudden in those videos, when the light goes on, it's like people fall to the ground, like tears come to their eyes. There's joy immeasurable. You can imagine that that moment, those sorts of moments, is exactly like these two men. These two men would have been full of joy, even enough for them to say, why didn't we get it? We're not our hearts trembling because of what we saw. And all of a sudden, their reality changes. Because for the first time ever, somebody who had been laid in a tomb comes out. And although they don't really understand Easter either, just like us, my guess is they started to get it. So what do we learn about our own lives from this road to Emmaus experience of these men with Jesus? Well, first of all, these two disciples hit bottom. And friends, there's some of us who have yet to hit bottom because when we hit bottom, Perhaps we can understand some of the things that we've heard hundreds of thousands of times before. And I'm going to tell you this, if there is somebody struggling that you know and that you love, one of your prayers can simply be for them to hit bottom. Lord, I love them. You love them more than I do. Please may they hit bottom so that they can understand the truth for the very first time. The second thing that we learned from this road to Emmaus is that even when it's hard and you don't always understand, keep walking. These men didn't know what was going on, but they didn't stay where they were in Jerusalem. They didn't stay in the unknown. They moved. They kept going. And sometimes for some of us, that's exactly what we need to do. I got to be honest, that's something that I've learned a lot of in the last couple months. Even though I may not feel it because of some of the pain or some of the struggles in my life, sometimes the best thing that I can do is just keep going. And keep going means that I am faithful to what God has called me to that I know I can do. I can be a good husband to Kristen. I can be a good father to Troy, to Cameron, to Katie. I can be a faithful co-worker with my brothers and sisters in the office. I can be a faithful pastor to you. I can live into those things even though I'm not sure about the other stuff in my life and the pain and the hurt and the brokenness. If I am faithful in the things that I understand and keep walking, Christ might show up and begin to walk beside me. The third thing is this. Sort of reviewing something that I said a little earlier. I didn't mean to say it that way, but sometimes you're not ready for truth. Truth until you're ready for it. Sometimes you're not ready for truth until you're ready for it. And I'm going to bring you into the one of the hardest spots where I see that playing out. I said earlier, I've spent a lot of time in hospitals. And hospitals are ugly. They are. I'm sorry if you are an engineer, and architect who designs hospitals. I'm sorry, they're just ugly. Maybe it's not just that they're ugly buildings. It's ugly because of so often what happens. Blood, suffering, pain, illness, sickness. You feel like you go there, you walk out, you gotta take a shower because of some of the stuff that you're surrounded by. And because I've, you know, been, and Pastor Bill and Pastor John and other pastors know what I'm talking about, you, you sort of, you got those hospitals mapped out. I know exactly where to go. Someone doesn't even, I don't have to stop at the desk sometimes. I can even tell we're, people are going to be by what their situation is. And so you walk into these places and you walk sometimes just feeling the burden of the pain around you. You walk past this hospital room and that person is alone and they're moaning in their pain. And you walk past this group of people who are gathered in a waiting room and there's tears and there's brokenness because of a loved one who is hurting. Ugly places hospitals are. And almost every single one of you is going to end this world in a hospital. Let's sink in for a second. All of you are bound for that. And I'm not trying to deal with your mortality and make you think, oh, Pastor Scott didn't give me this uplifting sermon this morning. I just want you to know that at some point, hospitals will become pretty pivotal to you and your life because we are all, death for us has 100% success rate. So I go to hospitals and so often I'm in hospitals at the end of things. And I know there's some people who in here, even as I say this, are super sensitive because of their situation right now at this moment. But I can tell you this as well. As ugly as hospitals are, I have seen some of the most beautiful things ever in a hospital. I wrote this week on Facebook about a husband and wife who are going through abject pain and poverty of spirit because of an illness that is consuming the husband. And I saw a wife put her forehead against her husband's forehead, kiss his nose and say, this is our journey. We're doing it together and God will strengthen us for what is ahead. A beautiful, beautiful slice of what God does to us when we are confronted with death. Another hospital that I was in recently, I was bringing communion to a woman. Another pastor was there and I, we were talking and then I served communion and said, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. And she gave the elements to the other pastor. And the pastor, as he was reflecting on taking communion with us, said this. He said, even in your brokenness, even in your sickness, even in the pain that you are experiencing right now, because she is in significant pain, you served me and gave to me the greatest meal that I could have ever known. Another beautiful, beautiful space. And the reason why those rooms are beautiful spaces, if they're entered into well, is because there's nothing left. You're not worried about your job anymore in a hospital room when death is coming. You're not worried about this thing or that thing with your finances. You're not fearful anymore about some of this stuff that you spend so much time with. Whether or not your house is decorated right. Whether or not you said the right things to this friend or that friend. Whether or not you're doing this. Whether or not your clothes look right together. Whether or not, whatever. You're not worried about that anymore. Why? Because that is the place where all of that falls away. And the only question is, what's next? And this morning, we acknowledge what's next. And what's next is beautiful. What's next is without pain. What's next is without suffering. If we know and understand this phrase. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's the place. I hate going to hospitals. And I love it at the exact same time because in those spaces I see Christ present. Now, not all of us want to go to a hospital in the next year or two and face that moment. Here's the other thing about the truth though. That day is coming and living into that truth now prepares us for that moment even more. You have life because of Christ's resurrection. You have hope because of life, Christ's resurrection. You have a purpose because of Christ's resurrection. You have gifts and abilities that can change the world around you because of Christ's resurrection. you got it. Live into it. This may be the moment that you're going to get it, in the way you've never gotten it before because you're ready. I pray in Jesus' name, come Lord Jesus, in your power, break through to the heart and the mind of that person, those people who need to hear the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning, that it might transform their lives and their future and their eternity. Lord, if it be your will, make a breakthrough because we're ready. We long for it. Our hearts are open. Come invade us with your spirit, your love and your grace in a brand new way. That's my prayer, not just for those who don't know Jesus, but for those who already know him and are not living into it with the fullness of life. Go from this place, having heard the hope and the trust, uh, the, the love of God and the grace of God through his word and his power that says to you, I have made you a billionaire. Now go out and spend it. Spend it on a world that needs to see, receive, and get. More of me. Go and share the truth. He's risen. He's risen indeed. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, hope of the world, through an empty cross and an empty tomb, we praise you, Father, for laying open hearts and minds to being prepared to hear the truth of the gospel for the first time, that you give us so much, so much that we're, we don't understand, that we don't grasp, but Lord, give us just a glimpse, just enough that we want more of it. We long more for more of it like the two disciples on the road. They had to go back to Jerusalem and tell somebody, Lord, may we be those people. We've heard the truth. We have to go and tell somebody and live into that Holy Spirit power that transforms our hearts and our lives. I pray, Lord, for those people who are here this morning who don't know that truth. We're not living into that truth. Come invade. Come bring the bottom. Bring that space, Lord, where their hearts are fertile ground for your Holy Spirit, that you might come and make all things new. Father, this is work that you and you alone can do in us. We pray that you do it today in Jesus' name. God's people said together.